Again, Romans 6, verses 1 through 14, and verses 20 through 23. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have, be- and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This is God's word. I was listening to a podcast about the criminal justice system, and I got to an episode on parole hearings and what questions a parole board ask the incarcerated. And after some basic review questions like, why are you here, and uh, what led you to commit this crime, almost invariably, when, when, it ta- when they talk about getting out, the next question is, what guarantees do we get that you will not reoffend? So they're looking at the incarcerated, they're asking the question, what guarantees do we get that you will not reoffend? And my first thought was, what a necessary but insane question to ask someone <laughs> who is in prison, right? How are you going to answer that? What guarantees can I give you, right? Like, well, first of all, I'm never going to leave my house again. I won't leave my house again. And you know what, what I'm going to do, sir? I'm going to cut off my feet so I can't escape from my house as well. Is that enough guarantee for you? Right? How, how are you going to guarantee you won't do wrong again? And yet I get it. If you're going to show mercy to someone who has received the right kind of justice, you're going to show mercy to an offender, you want to get some sort of assurances from them that they're not going to repeat and hurt others again, right? I think of the mercy that has been shown me and maybe the mercy that's been shown you by Jesus Christ. He never asks this question. He has every right to. 
right? His mercy cost him a true hell on earth up on the cross. And yet he freely offers and then lavishes upon us freedom from our own personal hell, all as a no-strings-attached gift just given to us. In fact, not only does he not get any assurances from us that we won't reoffend again, he knows that we will reoffend again and yet gives it to us anyway. The offer still stands, forgiveness and freedom, even though I know you're going to offend again. It's incredible. So, so if unlike other religions, this God isn't going to demand guarantees ahead of time from us, assurances from us ahead of time, Paul anticipates everyone's question. Uh, why not keep doing what I was doing before I got this free forgiveness? <laughs> why not just keep living the life I was living before now that I got this gift? Verse 1, are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Why not, right? And Paul says, by no means, you absolutely shouldn't. But then he goes on to acknowledge that it's an option. It's surely an option. So he introduces us to this big word for living this morning we're calling dominion. It was my hardest word to choose. This is a very important passage, and there's a couple different words I could have used, but I, I landed on dominion. After initially trusting Jesus, you can live in one or, of two dominions or realms. Think like little kingdoms. Right, you can live in the realm of sin and death over here, or you can choose to live in the realm of life and of freedom. And you'd assume, well, that's an easy choice. Everyone's going to want to live over here, right? Life and freedom, that's the best thing we could possibly get. But what's weird is that without much thought, we go back and sit in the stench of whatever, whatever didn't satisfy us before and only hurt us. We go back over here to sit in that sin and in that death anyhow. And so in this letter to the Romans, Paul brilliantly pauses for a moment here in chapter 6 and helps illustrate what living free looks like. What living free looks like. And then he provides us resources for how to actually persevere, even thrive in this dominion of life and of freedom. Okay, so first, what does living free actually look like? What living free looks like? Now, theologians and philosophers have debated this concept of, of genuine freedom for like millennia. So you got to at least give me 10 minutes, all right, to talk about this. What does freedom really look like? Like how, how, how could that be a reality for life? So, so a few things I want to say about this. And the first one is, only Jesus can initiate my freedom. We've all experienced saying sort of no to God's way, yes to my own way, uh, since, since the beginning of, of, our, of our lives, since birth. And, and Jesus, in love, out of the love he lived, the life of love he lived, he tallied up a perfect scorecard of yes to the Father, yes to God. And on the cross, what he does, he exchanges scorecards with us. He takes his perfect scorecard, gives it to those who would trust him, and we take our imperfect scorecard and we put it upon him on the cross. That's why he died. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that Jesus actually became sin for us so that we might get right with God. He united himself to sin. And this helps us make sense of the awkward phrase in verse 10 of our passage for the death he died, he died to sin. Now, why would he have to die to sin if he never sinned? Why would he have to say, no longer sin? I'm, I am dead to you if the guy never sinned. Jesus never sinned in his life, 
but he willingly united himself to sin during his death so that sin would never stay united to us at death. Sin clung to Jesus at his death so that sin may never cling to us at our death. Sin clung to Jesus at death so that sin may never cling to us at death. A simple, maybe even silly analogy is you can think of Jesus and his death like a dryer sheet. <laughs> I was thinking about this this week. He absorbs all the so that you're forever free from all that crap that might cling to you. He absorbs it in himself so that you might be forever free from all the crap that could cling to you. And then he broke free from sin and death on the third day so you might then cling to him, to his life, to his freedom. And so what Jesus says in John chapter 5, verse 24, that every person who, who trusts in his heart that the Father raised him from the dead that person doesn't come into judgment. They have crossed over from death to life. They have crossed from death to life just by trusting the Father who really raised Jesus from the dead. It's a border, border crossing from, from, from the dominion of sin and death, the dominion of life and of freedom, a prison break. The resurrection of the dead it is a true prison break. And that picture of a prison break, that picture of a, a prison cell, I think the, the perfect picture for what Paul is illustrating in our passage. And so I've put some pictures together for us this morning up on the screen for us. All of us are held prisoner by the big no in our hearts uh, called sin. But Jesus liberates those who trust him through his death and resurrection. He unlocks the cell and he sets us free into the dominion of life and of grace and of forgiveness. This is what Jesus does. But the second thing I want to say about what freedom looks like is that freedom is still a choice. It's still a choice. By the way, I did not do those pictures up there that you just saw. Can you tell? I paid a graphic designer for that. All right. <laughs> However, freedom is still a choice for us. Still a choice. When I lived in the Cayman Islands, um, most Sunday evenings I would go visit the men's prison in, in our country. And my, my friend Joel was getting released, and we were having a party for his parole. And I asked him privately uh, what he was feeling about this. And he said his feelings were mixed. I'm comfortable here. He said, Ryan, I you know, I know my schedule. Uh, I'm familiar with everyone. I know my cell. I know where everything goes. And I feel like I have a sense of control. And I'm worried that I want to return. I'm worried I want to return. It reminded me of what um, Morgan Freeman's character in Shawshank Redemption said, Red. Remember he said, these walls are, are funny. First you hate them. And you get used to them, enough time passes that you get to depend on them. Think about it. Back in prison, back in the prison cell are my old pastimes, the old, the old habits that, that, I, that I really leaned on to get by in life. The immediate dopamine rush of whatever it was that ultimate thing for you, living for success, uh, living for pleasure, uh, living to fix others' problems or living for others to kind of need you and depend on you. Maybe even living to do things for the church so you feel good about yourself because religion itself can be an ultimate thing before God. And Paul says, you got options. You can go back there. You can go back there. There really are two dominions you can live in. You can always return to your prison cell. But Jesus has freed you, so the cell door is always going to remain open. That's important. Jesus frees you. You can go back and sit there, but the cell door is forever open. You're forever liberated and free to leave. You can sit in your filth 
And sin is filth, but it's familiar filth, right? We grew up with it. We were conditioned by it. We once considered it freedom. Which leads me to the third thing I want to say about freedom is that is to rethink my idea of freedom. And Paul is compelling us here to rethink that idea. He says in verse 3, for example, we are baptized, literally immersed in Christ Jesus. Verse 4, we are buried with him. Verse 5, we are united with him in a death like his. Since a theme here, united with him in a resurrection like, the, like his. Verse 11, we are in Christ Jesus. Verse 20, we were once slaves to sin, now we are slaves to God. This idea of being hitched to Jesus. Jesus suggests it himself about freedom. He told every person who was burdened to come to him. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. So it might be easy, it might be light, but it's still a yoke. True freedom is hitching my life to Jesus. It's in my life to that wagon. And I have another helpful question for you that might, might, might spark something, might be helpful. You'll see up on a screen a picture of a person tied to a wagon that's moving fast downhill or a cart. And the cart represents Jesus in this illustration, okay? The ground represents sin. And the person has two options. You can, you can run with the cart in which case, you might be yoked to Jesus, but you're free from sin and death, right? The ground is sin and death. You're not doing option number two, which is resist the cart, resist Jesus. In which case, you're free from Jesus, though he's still in control, but you're slaves to sin and death, right? You know, I'm just going to, no, I'm not going to go with you, God. And so instead, you're dragged along the ground. You're hurt. These are your options. And if these are your options, which person is truly free? Because philosophers have debated this for centuries. How can you be truly free if you're conditioned to things? Are you slaves to your impulses? And what the Bible is saying is you have options. You can hitch your cart to Jesus or just allow yourself to continue to be dragged by sin and death. The most basic definition of freedom you grew up with, I grew up with, is something like this. Do what I want when I want. Right? Something along those lines. You might phrase it differently, but something like that, right? Do what I want when I want. But the question is, isn't that more animal than human? Doing what I want, what I want. An animal's very existence is to indulge in its every impulse. Right? So they walk around naked and sometimes lick themselves, for example. All right? That's what they do. Is, is, is that what it means to be a human being? There's this great Danish philosopher. I'll, I'll, don't worry, I'll class it up a little bit here. This great Danish philosopher, Soren Kierkegaard, talked a lot about this. He said, a life of doing whatever you want, whenever you want, is really what he called an accidental life. He said, such a person doesn't make free choices, but, quote, his temperament, his tastes, his feelings, his impulses completely drive him. An accidental life. Being more human means I'm free to resist impulse, right? That I actually have agency to say no to things and yes to others. And not just do what I want when I want. And only Jesus can make me become the person I was born to be. And that's real freedom, isn't it? We know this when we, when we find our sense of purpose. We know this in a, in a sort of a micro way. But in a macro way, becoming the person we are born to be, our life fitting like a glove, being truly human, made in God's image, restored to God's image, designed to be loved by God and love him back with all of who we are, this is true freedom. And this is what Paul talks about, for example, in verse 13, right? 
He says, present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Loving him back with all of our mind, our body, our soul, our members, presenting to God every member. God, this is for you. I want to love you back. This is what I was made for. And that is true freedom. Hitching our lives to his and loving him the way Jesus loved him. True freedom. Now, how do I actually do this? Paul gives us three resources here. Three resources located in the dominion of life for how to live free. Three resources for how to live free. I want to talk about all three of them. The first is this, to tell myself the truth, to reinforce the truth in my mind, to be telling myself the truth continually. Verse 11 says, you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So even if you don't, even if you're living with sin and you're indulging in sin, still mentally remembering, I am not, I am dead to sin, but I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now, about three or four years ago, I was listening to this story on NPR about this man named Ray Spates. And so I wrote a couple notes about it. He was um, living in like a small apartment uh, in New Jersey. Uh, didn't have a, a car, didn't have much going on in his life. He was curious one day about his family tree. Uh, and so he took a DNA test through Ancestry. And he discovered through his DNA test that he's actually a prince. He's a prince of a small African country of Benin, which is just west of Nigeria. You can imagine just living in a small apartment in New Jersey, finding out your royalty, amazing, So he made contact with them, eventually hopped on a plane. He said, next thing you know, I'm in Benin, being crowned as a prince. It was that easy. It was just months. The royal family prepared a festival. They hung hung banners. They held a parade. They They even sent him to print school to learn how to be a member of the royal family. All they had to do was watch the crown, right? That's terrible. And actually not culturally appropriate at all. Um... The day of a parade, it was his late father's birthday. And he said, which was, I thought, so amazing. He said, my, I could sense my father's presence with me. I could, I could see him. I could feel him in a way I never had before. Even though he was the same person, right? But finding out he is a prince changed Jay's entire view of himself, his life, his sense of purpose, his sense of belonging. If you trust Jesus, friend, you are a royal heir truly a royal heir. That's amazing. Even if you don't feel like it, you're a fellow prince with Jesus Christ or a princess. Especially if if you're alone in your apartment without a car, not much going on in your life, little going your way, and you're tempted to sin, remind yourself in that moment, I am no longer a slave. I am a child of God. I'm dead to sin. I am alive in Christ. I am not alone. I am loved. I am valued. I'm worth God's only son that he gave for me. Tell yourself that. Reinforce it. That's a way you can actually live free. A second resource Paul talks about in this passage is to weigh the wages of my life. With every decision, weighing the wages of my life of that decision. So if you're tempted to go back to the familiar filth of your prison cell, Paul has a word for you, which is, yeah, you were free from who you were born to be. Uh, 
you know, living a righteous life for God, but he says, what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? Weigh that. Consider it. What fruit were you getting going, living in that cell and, and relying on those old habits and those old ultimate things? Some of you might be familiar with verse 23, which says, uh, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ and our Lord. You may have heard this passage in connection with salvation. You may have even shared it with someone and said, hey, this is what you're going to get. But it's more than that. The Greek word translated wages, opsonion, uh, was commonly used in military and agricultural work to refer to someone being paid incrementally, just like people get paid today. And what Paul says is wages, yeah, they're later, but they're also now. These wages you get are also now, which means while you are absolutely, if you've trusted Christ, you are absolutely secure in Jesus Christ now and forever, but you have the choice to return to that familiar filth, the prison cell. But those wages, what you receive and experience now, may smell like the stench of death. If you, if you choose to live back there, what you're going to experience from your life and what others are going to experience from you is going to smell like death. And death don't smell good. The alternative, though, this is why he uses this, this, this language, the fruit you get, which leads to sanctification, verse 22. But if you make choices for Jesus, you get sanctification, which is a big word that just means becoming a little more like Jesus every day. Becoming a little more like Jesus every day. More loving, more generous, more hospitable, more selfless. In other words, the kind of person you've always wanted to be, but you never knew how to get there. Well, one way, one resource to get there is weighing every decision of your life and saying, is this, this going to smell like death or like life? Is this decision I'm about to make going to smell like death or like life? There's this uh, scene in uh, Lord of the Rings, both the book and the movie, when the wise old Gandalf, he's leading a team of four hobbits, an elf and a dwarf through the mines of Moria, it's this desperate sort, dark, desperate sort of place. And they reach this crossroads, and in the dark, they can't see which of two paths they're supposed to take. So they sit down for hours. Gandalf smokes a pipe, of course. He always does if you watch the movie. And he said, finally, after hours, he says, oh, it's this way. The air is less stale. And then he says, when in doubt, always follow your nose. I think there's some wisdom in that for for, for here in our passage this morning, when things get hard, when we feel most lonely, we're tempted to go back to our old fixes, right? The things that are going to give us that, that immediate sense of being alive and feeling good. I want to encourage you, before dipping your toe, follow your nose. Before dipping your toe back into that old life, remembering what it's like, follow your nose. Remember what that old prison cell smells like. With every decision, will I experience life and fruit from that will I experience the wages of death. Because that's what's going to come. A third resource Paul gives for how to actually live the life of freedom to which we're called is the triumph of grace. And we read about that in verse 14. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. What a wonderful verse. Paul is addressing an important reality for every follower of Jesus. That when we fail... When we go back to the old familiar filth of our now open prison cell, the temptation when we fail is to sit helpless in shame, right? You've gone back to that old life. You've gone back to those old ways. 
you indulge in them a little bit, you give in to them some, and you just, you feel like, man, I've finally gone too far for God. Like, this is it. I, I, there's no way back this time. This is just who I am. And, and, and the quicker I accept who I am, the better. And what Paul says is that is not God. That is the law talking. That is self-imposed, parent-imposed. God imposed expectations demanding from you an illusion of perfection that will never happen. That's the law talking. That is not God talking. I've been freed from that prison. Freed. Through, through the law, sin can lure you, it can hurt you, it can even oppress you, but sin will have no dominion over you, for you are no longer under law. You, you've been freed. The cell door remains open. All you have to do is come to your senses that grace really has triumphed, that God has liberated me, and the Father waits for the prodigal, for this prodigal to leave his cell and experiences embrace once again. So let's walk out of that cell together, friends, and experience his embrace once again if you're still sitting in shame. Pray with me. Father, we're, we're thankful for being liberated in Jesus Christ, and yet we know freedom is still a choice every day of our life. Why not just go back and do what we used to do? Because when we do that, all we experience is death. The wages of sin is death. The payment we get is being miserable and passing on that, that sense of misery to others. God, help us instead leave that open cell door. For those of us who are sitting back there, help us remember that grace really has triumphed, that the Father still waits to embrace us down the road He's looking to do that. That we really are heirs of God, princes and princesses, Father of the kingdom. That's who we are. We are not who we used to be. Father, help us lean on the resources you've given us and especially grace to remember that we are called to freedom and we can actually start to live freely. Help us resist the temptation to go back to that old way of life. But when we do, help us remember that you love us anyway and you're calling us back out of that prison. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.